The Start On Demand. On demand. This year marks the 50th anniversary of email, but is anybody celebrating that? Toronto Star wrote a great piece over the weekend that points to how some experts say email is a curse. And on the subject of email, we had some fun by asking you about email blunders. Also, headline out of the Winnipeg Free Press today, a third round of lockdown predicted. Come on, I just finally got to visit a patio with a friend for the first time over the weekend. And yes, the time change, in spite of our best efforts, still threw us a curveball. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's once again in for Jeff Courier. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Monday, March 15th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Courier once again this week. Producer Jeff Forte and Master Control. And I will ask the two of you, and you as well, you can feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. Start with you, GMAC. How affected, if at all, are you by the time change? So far, so good. I don't know why. I did not have a particular strategy in how to deal with it. Uh, But so far, I have not seen any ill effects from the time change that I hope and I know this is a real stretch here, McGarry, but I'm hoping that this is the last one. Yep. The last time that we do this, because there's a real move to go to full-time daylight saving time, and let's just cut the cord already. Let's make it happen. I was pretty proud of us. We didn't even touch this subject heading into the weekend, <laughs> and here we are. How are you making out? Kind of weird, because Saturday night... Normally, I stay up way too late on Saturdays. Like, I'll stay up till 3, 4 in the morning because that's sort of my default mode. I am a night owl. I like to stay up at night. And uh, this particular Saturday night, I was just feeling kind of tired. So it was uh, around 11 o'clock when I decided I'm just going to put the clocks ahead now so that maybe in an hour it'll actually feel more like 1 a.m. as opposed to midnight. And sure enough, when... 1 a.m. as as I had changed the clocks hit, I thought, eh, yeah, I'm going to bed. And I figured because I was going to bed earlier, I would end up waking up and staying up earlier because you usually get up around 10, 11 o'clock on Sundays. And uh, I, I woke up at 6, I woke up at 9, and I texted you because you had texted me already. You were texting me at 8 o'clock. And I said, I think I'm going to go back to bed for an hour. And it turned into three hours. So I was in bed basically from 1 in the morning until noon, felt great. But I knew that that was going to be a problem come Sunday night because I had 11 hours of sleep. It's unheard of. I never sleep that much anymore. I guess I had to catch up on my sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, so last night I just could not fall asleep until like 11.15, I think it was. great. And then I woke up at 1 in the morning and then I dozed from 1 until 2.30. So I don't know that I can blame the time change, but... uh, I, I yeah, it's I feel weird. Forty, what about you? I did the same thing. I set my clocks on Saturday at about I think it was like seven o'clock in the evening. I, you know, I prepared myself for the time change, and uh, so yesterday actually I went to bed. I was asleep before eight thirty, so oh, I'm feeling good. Atta boy, good. I still don't like the time change though. No, uh, well I prefer standard. Uh, you prefer standard? Yeah, I prefer standard time rather than daylight savings time. Well, and Jeff and I are in the same boat in that our apartments face west. 
So now the, uh, the, the sun set comes blazing through our windows, respectively. And Forte, well, I, don't have, I just have Venetian blinds, so I might have to actually invest in some proper blackout curtains. I like the daylight during the day, but in the evening, not so much. What was your, your solution, Jeff Forte? Well, I got blackout blinds for my living room, but in my bedroom, well, I do have blackout blinds. They're not set up yet. <laughs> I, I, I'm not the best with a drill. So anyways, what I do is I have two house coats I put on each side of my window. <laughs> And then I put T-shirts on the very top, so it blacks it out. <laughs> well, at least you didn't go like the black garbage bag route or something like that, and then your neighbors really would have wondered what you were up to in there. But that's uh, probably not a bad way to go. The good news, McGarry, that giant clock that lives uh, above my stove in my kitchen is is correct again. It's been oh. wrong. <laughs> it's been wrong for the last uh, six months or so, but it's it's now correct again. So that's good. Yeah, I saw uh, various memes over. Over the weekend saying uh, the various clocks that need to be changed your cell phone you don't have to touch it it just does its own magical thing you know, if you have an alarm clock easy to fix the car clock eh, maybe and the uh, the stove you need uh, a degree in electric electronic engineering <laughs> to figure that out I actually got my I, I, I got it first shot so I was quite uh, quite happy with that because I know this stove clock can be problematic. But let us know how you're feeling this morning after the time change. We also want to know, and we've actually made this our question of the day at cjob.com, did you visit a restaurant patio over the weekend? Question of the day, by the way, is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Your options are yes, household only, yes, outside household, and no, still too cold. And I visited a buddy of mine out in, he lives in Sage Creek. It was his birthday Yesterday, so Saturday, we went out for drinks and dinner at a patio in Sage Creek, a restaurant called Block and Blade. We were the first ones there. I think they just opened at 3, and I got there at 3.15, and I was the first one seated on the patio. It took all of 30 minutes for that patio to fill up uh, because people, and I, from what I understand, patios were busy all around the city of Winnipeg. Yeah, no question about it. We did our own patio thing for my father-in-law's birthday yesterday, so we sat outside, fortunately, uh, Mom and Dad have a south-facing deck, so we were in the sunshine. We started at about 3 o'clock, and then the sun went behind one of the two giant trees in their backyard and was like, okay, can we speed up proceedings here because it's getting a little <laughs> chilly. It's time for us to move on. But uh, right in the heart of the afternoon, in the sunshine, it was absolutely gorgeous out, put a couple extra layers on, and we had no problem at all. But would love to hear from folks, because I did hear through the grapevine that a lot of patios were very, very busy. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Does that give you a little bit of pause and cause for concern? And then when you add it to the headline on the Winnipeg Free Press today... Ugh. Maybe not uh, Maybe not the move that we were hoping for. Maybe not the words we were hoping to read this morning. As you know, I've been heading out to just down the block, really, to the King's Head for the last, I think, five Fridays now. And it's been nice, but I sit at the bar, in the middle of the bar, and a couple of friends will come and join sometimes. One will sit about eight feet away from me to my right, another six feet down to my left. It's still okay, but Saturday when I went to a patio with a friend and sat at the same table, because that rule sort of came as a surprise on Friday when they suddenly were like, oh, by the way, uh, you can visit, go to a patio with people outside your household. So I thought, whoa, that's exciting. And it felt great to 
sit with a friend at a table and not feel like some sort of a scoff law. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, this is actually kind of a nice feeling of normalcy. <laughs> and then, <laughs> sorry, it's, it's not funny, but it's almost funny because you, you're sitting across from me here in the studio earlier while we're figuring things out for the show and you say, oh, look at this headline from the free press. Third round of lockdown predicted. Manitoba easing restrictions as troubling signs emerge. This from Ryan Thorpe. And I'll just read a couple of passages here. Manitoba's decision to further ease pandemic restrictions comes amid troubling signs emerging in the spread of COVID-19 in Manitoba. Last week, 13 new cases of highly contagious variants were announced, bringing the province's variant total to 23, three of which couldn't be linked to travel or another known case. Uh, It skips ahead to say on Friday, the province recorded 104 new cases of the virus. It's first triple digit daily total in weeks. It quotes Dr. Anand Kumar, an infectious disease expert and intensive care specialist. He's predicting Manitoba will be forced to implement another lockdown in eight to 10 weeks due to rising case totals and Cynthia Carr epidemiologist our good friend uh, agrees that some of these numbers are a little bothersome they're both worried about the presence of COVID-19 variants and uh, those are concerns as far as they were concerned so we have reached out to Cynthia Carr to uh, get her to expand on her thoughts on this Uh, just a a little bit troubling once again this is a article from the Winnipeg Free Press we're reacting to with uh, quotes from a couple well-known, well-respected experts. And it is a prediction. It's not a declaration. Correct. And who knows, you know, we'll hopefully this doesn't come to pass because the idea of going back into lockdown, it's not that we can't do it. I just... Like I said, it felt nice to sit with a friend and and the, the it was hoping that perhaps once we all get vaccinated that maybe we could return to doing things like going to football games. You mentioned to me that you saw something out of New Zealand over the weekend that made you kind of emotional it seeing re- it. Yeah, it really did. Sorry, Brett. It was a a, a concert at a at a wine at a vineyard. By Crowded House, and there were two or 3,000 people there. Were they shoulder to shoulder? Shoulder to shoulder. Crowd uh, singing along. And it was. It was emotional to watch because uh, I, I love going to concerts. I love going to sporting events. I love being as one. I love that common purpose of celebration and being together. And I was quite envious, I have to confess, watching that. But it did give me at the same time hope. To imagine if it's happening in New Zealand, it will happen here sooner than later. But this this headline's got me obviously a, a little bit bothered and concerned today. So you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. You can also email mackling at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. Also just want to quickly read this email from listener Jeff who emails us quite frequently. And he says, no, 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 stay on standard time. You want your kids going to school in the dark in December? Bad decision, and points to some article that says permanent daylight saving time could be even worse for your sleep. Ooh, that's interesting. I actually didn't mind going to school in the dark. Sometimes we would have early basketball practice before class, 
And I found that super relaxing, getting, you know, heading out and walking to the bus stop in the dark. I, I, I kind of like that idea. I, I don't know. It feels as though once we get to winter, you're going to school in the dark and coming home from work in the dark. You might as well just do one, not the other. doesn't matter, if, in my mind, if it's dark till 8, 9, even 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and you would want to give up the evening daylight in the summer? The, wouldn't the sun come up at like 4.30? You'd probably come up sooner than or that. Or earlier in the summertime if we stayed at standard time. Sorry, Jeff, going to disagree with you, bud. Oh, the gloves come off early on a Monday on the start. <laughs> Over the weekend, Toronto Star wrote a great piece about this year's 50th anniversary of email and how... Maybe that's not a good thing. Some experts call email a curse. So we're actually going to speak with an associate professor of new media just after 7 o'clock about that. But in the meantime, we want to talk about email blunders. We have a $20 gift certificate up for grabs for Santa Lucia Pizza. We need you to text us a story about email blunders at 204-780-6868. We will give away that pizza gift card at 9.15. Poitras is here. Braun is here. Forti is here. Jeff Braun. How about we start with you, sir? All right. Actually, you know, I've gotten really good over the years of preventing my own email blunders. There are a lot of days where I wake up and I start working and I'm real cranky first thing in the morning. And at 4 a.m. I start drafting just the angriest email to somebody that we work with over one issue or another. And I used to just send it off. And now I, I wait. Now I wait like half an hour. And I go back to it and I read it again. It's like, yeah, you know what? That's not that big a deal. I might just let that slide. I don't, nobody needs a seven-paragraph uh, angry email about <laughs> font font selection or something like that. So I, I'm getting better at it. I, I, it's been a long time since I've blasted off. It was just a, a, a regrettable email. Well, you were, and I, I've mentioned this before, but uh, I remember, and I've still <laughs> I still have the email somewhere in my inbox. Uh, here it is, March twenty third, twenty ten, and uh, there is an email that was sent out to the entire newsroom Tuesday, March twenty third at nine oh eight a.m. from Richard Cluche that reads simply, "I'm pretty like a flower." And there's a follow-up email from Rich one minute later saying, the last time I asked Jeff Braun to close my email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do your own work, guys. Come on. Poitras, what about you? Um, well, yeah. I, you know what? I, I find that I'll, I'll just you know type one up, and you know, I don't think there's anything concerning about it, and I'll send it off, and then... You know, around when I'm when I'm lying in bed and I'm and I'm going to, s- to sleep and I'm running the whole day through my head, all of a sudden my eyes widen and I'm like, oh no, that was probably taken in this way, and then I can't sleep because I'm then concerned about uh, the person taking the email the wrong way and uh, oh oh no, you know they're, they're gonna think I'm some sort of you know I, I, I was being more rude than I I thought I was being. I wasn't trying to be rude, but they're gonna think I was rude because I and then I have to look at the email again and make sure that I didn't uh, you know I, I I didn't use the wrong tone and stuff that happens to me all the time so um but usually it's nothing and i usually just blow things out of proportion so <laughs> what about you uh greg mackling uh tone is so difficult to detect in uh, so many written forms of communication uh but there was no questioning uh my blunder very early in my email career this is over 20 years ago sales job that i had and 
Uh, you know, that was the day when email was essentially for sharing jokes and not much else because you didn't even really do customer connections via email back then. And I f- came across something that I thought was pretty funny, so I thought I'd forward it to every one of my sales group and um, my boss's assistant, uh, whose name was very, very similar to the vice president of our national company. And so instead of Kim Wilson getting a very funny joke, Ken Wilson got a very funny joke and he didn't think it was all that funny and sent me an email and suggested perhaps I get back to work. But I had so much time to send <laughs> funny emails. Perhaps I had time to make a sale. Oh. So, 20 plus years later, and I still, I, I, I have butterflies in my stomach right now, even relaying that story, how stupid I felt when I got that email back. Yeah, there was, uh, and the, the reply all has to be problematic as well. Uh. I won't, uh, I will not name our colleague, and I won't describe the content, but there was uh, there was an email that went out from one of our colleagues about uh, you know some tickets that were up for grabs or something, and this person meant to reply individually and included some offensive language, but replied all, and then immediately had to send a follow-up saying, oh my, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I, please, I hope, if I offended anybody, I'm so, so sorry. And then a, the general manager when we had a general manager in the building, had to send a follow-up saying this, you know, kind of language is not acceptable. So that had to have been a very difficult day for that person who was just trying to be funny with a friend. Uh, Forte, what about you? Oh God, I'm glad I didn't do that. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, for me, it's... Yet? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, but for me, it's how many emails I have. I have four different emails. Mm-hmm. Like I got two personal, three personal ones, then my work email, and like, why do I need them all? <laughs> okay. That's a great question. But, 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 but are uh, you a drug dealer or in, something? <laughs> 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 no, but one of the problems is that my like Apple ID and another email is connect to one email, and I just I can't get rid of it now. I don't know how to switch my <laughs> Apple ID to a current email. It's just. It's disaster. And then you also have my inboxes. Like, one of my inboxes has at least 500 unopened, unread emails. And I don't, you know. Amateur. Well, I just, I don't like yeah. going through it all. It's just, it's, it's junk, you know. It's all like, you know, this store. Here's uh, our deals for this day. And it's like three months old. And I, I just, I don't care. I can't even reveal the number of unread emails I have in my work inbox. Do it. The Do only it. the o- no, I can't. I, I'm so ashamed. the uh, The only way I'll ever get through it is to just delete the entire thing. Just like hit the reset button, because it'll it would take me years. I could I could delete a thousand emails a day and not get through it in a year. That's uh, I'll just leave it there. So at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, you got to text us a story about email blunders for your chance to win a twenty dollars gift certificate. We celebrated our 75th anniversary on Thursday here at 680 CJOB. But this year also marks, Greg, the 50th anniversary of email. But is anyone celebrating? Well, uh, I guess it depends who you speak with. The Toronto Star published an opinion piece on Saturday entitled Email Anniversary Offers Moment to Reimagine a More Productive, Less Stressful Workplace Culture. One of the things the article discusses is how some experts are convinced 
That email is a curse. Amy Morrison is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo, specializing in new media, critical social media, and the history and theory of media. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. So I wrote out a quick list here. Text, WhatsApp, voicemail, voicemail that goes to text, uh, phone, Twitter DM, Facebook DM. LinkedIn DM, Instagram DM, and email are all ways people can get in touch with me. So I kind of lump them all together. Is email a curse, Amy Morrison? Sure it is. It's absolutely a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Email is the hammer of the digital world. So you know the saying that when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Uh, And the email was one of the first um, sort of almost immediate text-based communication tools that developed a kind of protocol and a format that allowed different machines in different locations and not just sort of on the same network to communicate with each other. And it exploded in popularity right away. I mean, there's jokes about um, the people writing the first email inbox programs took the highest number of messages they could think of and then they doubled it. And that was what they made the maximum inbox be, and everybody filled it within three or four days, right? And so that's sort of been the story of email ever since. There's always way more of it than any of us can even imagine. And even if we double that number, it's still less email than all of us actually get, right? So email was developed initially um, as a means of electronic dissemination of memoranda, right? So if somebody is supposed to write up you know, a content uh, with a subject, and they're going to send it to a group of people just the same way you would send a memo around in inter-office paper mail. Everybody would receive this this memo, learn the information, in it, and file it. It was not really designed to be a synchronous or close to synchronous same-time communication tool. It was not meant to replace a phone call. It was not meant to replace a personal letter. It was not meant to replace meetings or to allow for collaborative document writing together. But we make email do all of those things currently, and that's why it's such a mess. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I imagine it's not a problem for everyone, right? Like, we don't all work in environments where we have email piling up, I would assume. But for those who do, it can really seem like this just never-ending avalanche of communication. Absolutely, absolutely. And in France, they have a law about when you are allowed to not check your email, right? Because people become so... Um, accustomed to those little dopamine hits. You know, like nobody ever, do you get know that feeling when you get that little notification on your phone or on your screen that's like ping and you're like, oh, somebody loves me. And you check and it's an email and then you don't want to read it. I mean, are you familiar with that sensation? I think we've all had that sensation of being excited to receive a notification, but then it's like, oh, it's an email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's no question about it. And then with the different channels that we're forced to look at, I was looking at a at an article. Well, actually, it's the transcript of a podcast Ezra Klein did of the New York Times with author Cal Newport. I listened to the podcast, right? And Cal Newport's new book is A World Without Email. And he just talks about how biologically how difficult it is to shift from those different channels and, and how much time it, it takes for us to... To, to clear one thought and to process another, and it's really creating just a lot of unproduct, un, unproductive time for us, Amy. Right. 
this unproductive time where we feel like we're working really hard and we're very important, right? I must be super important. Look at my inbox. I have, I'm going to look at 1,027 messages in my inbox right now, right? And every time I try to get a little bit of balance in my life, people just find different ways to communicate with me. I mean, you all emailed me yesterday, Sunday at noon, and I didn't answer because I've turned my email off for the weekend. And then you found me over text message, right? So yes, and I'm I sorry. Also have Sometimes reporters, you know, who can't get me over email will contact me through a direct message on another thing, right? So we've also become really used to this idea that we can contact anybody at any time, right, using these digital channels. So that just because the message itself moves at the speed of electrons through a series of wires and tubes and clouds and gaps, um, we feel that the person will be able to receive it right away and deal with it right away. So it's created a kind of culture of expectation of immediacy um, when we send things. We always think, like, I'm going to send this and somebody's going to get it right away. But when somebody sends something to us, we're like, oh, God, why do they think I'm always on my email? Right? So I think we're a bit, uh, a bit of a mess in terms of what we expect other people to be able to do with emails that we send them uh, versus the emails uh, that we receive ourselves. And so there's like, there's not just Cal Newport writing about like the hyperactive hive mind where everybody is super, super busy all the time, but nobody's getting anything done. But even Tim Ferriss writing a decade ago, right, talks about how to outsource your email, how to have a, a four hour work week. And for him, essentially, once you get rid of your email, your 40 hours a week become four hours a week, right? <laughs> so, I mean, this is the dream almost since the moment that email was invented, people have been trying to find ways to get less of it. Amy Morrison is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo. We love talking to you, Amy, but we got to go. Thank you so much for joining us, and, and uh, sorry that we emailed you over the weekend. Oh, well, I forgive you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> St. Boniface City Hall will be the subject of an event today outside of Winnipeg City Hall, led by a group of passionate residents behind the community campaign. Hashtag Garde les Clés. Keep the keys, employing Mayor Brian Bowman. Ensure the National Historic Site remains a city asset. This goes back to February 12th, where the Standing Policy Committee on, Pro- on Property and Development, Heritage and Downtown Development approved the sale of that historic building at 219 Provence and the old St. Boniface Fire Hall at 212 Dumoulin, and the sale would be to Manitoba Possible for a whopping... $10,000. On March 1st, Councillor Madelard presented an amendment to the sale of 219 Provence, Brett, which essentially prevents the sale of the old city hall. It will now be discussed today at a meeting at Winnipeg City Hall. Today's event outside City Hall starts this morning at 9.30. One of the main speakers will be Alan Turner, son of the last mayor of St. Boniface, Ed Turner, who turned the keys to St. B. City Hall over to the city of Winnipeg. You got that all straight now? Al joins us now. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. I guess your feathers are a little ruffled here with this uh, decision. Why is it important to you, Al, for the St. Boniface City Hall to remain under the control of the city of Winnipeg? Well, I think it's an underlying responsibility that the city took on at the time of Unicity. It was the understanding that, you know, things like our famous public building, which is the center point of the St. Boniface community, and the the underpinning of the French Cultural Committee, uh, part of the community, would 
would stay, in, in fact, intact and in the hands of the city of Winnipeg. So this is kind of a, this is kind of just another slight, and it's um, and it's a disturbing one that it could go this far. And the way it was moved too, it was a little ridiculous. How is the building being used at the moment? Well, there's some tenants in there that belong to uh, the Jardin des Artistes, which is a uh, arts group that coordinate uh, uh, art stuff. There's, uh, I know, the City of Winnipeg Employees Union uh, or Employees Association is in the basement, and and there's another group in there, but it's never really been. Um, occupied like other civic buildings in other uh, parts of the city, you know, post-Unicity have been used and taken up by the city to be used as staff headquarters for one department or another. So it's it's always been very odd that St. Boniface's City Hall has been sat in limbo like this with, with um, you know, tenants that are not connected to the city of Winnipeg's machine, the organization that runs our city. So it's a little disappointing. It's been sitting there kind of in limbo. Greg's just turning on his mic. Sorry, friend. Uh, what will you be presenting to Mayor Brian Bowman today? Well, we're going to be handing Brian Bowman some symbolic keys that we feel represent uh, the keys to our city hall, to the city hall that belongs to the residents of St. Bonaventure, and that he should keep them. And he should not pass them on um, through this tender process. I mean, we think that the tender process was flawed and that the... Um, the idea that somebody outside of our community would own a two and a half million dollar building for ten thousand dollars is just unfathomable. So we're not sure exactly why this rush to sell this building is so important. Um, you know, the city of Winnipeg is in cash trouble. We know that. That's why Unicity happened. We're just uh, hoping to keep our building intact and uh, continue to leave it as the center of of our uh, of our uh, understanding of history for our part little part of Winnipeg. So do you have a problem with with Manitoba possible taking no. ownership of this building? Like what do they what do they want to do with it? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, we really don't have that flushed out. We don't have a problem with Manitoba possible. They do some wonderful things, but are they the right owner for $10,000 for a 2.5 million dollar building? I think that they'd be incredibly stupid uh, not to put a bid in on this thing. But um, with no background to familiarity with the community or, or what the building actually stands for, I'm not sure that Manitoba Possible knows what they're getting involved in here. And um, so there's the question of our committee today and whether or not they're going to have um, the guts and, you know, respecting the history of this very special place. As I understand it, uh, that building now, there is public access to it, Mr. Turner, yeah. but uh, if Manitoba Possible were to take it over as part of their redevelopment, that would no longer be the case in essence? Uh, that, I'm still not sure of what their plan is as far as public access is concerned. There's been talk that the um, current residents that are there now, or the current uh uh, organizations that are here now would be allowed to stay, but we don't know for how long and for how much. We're not sure what that is. The sad part is, is that every other former civic building in the city of Winnipeg post Unicity have all been occupied and maintained. And um, they have some flavor of the city of Winnipeg in them. You know, whether it be the ambulance corps that's over on Portage Avenue, 2000 Portage Avenue or the Transcona city hall, all those buildings, 
have been adopted into the city of Winnipeg's uh, system. And this one has always kind of not been, and it's kind of always been an odd question for us. So we're not sure what the slant is or who the bureaucrat is that decided that it should go on a surplus building list and be sold. We're not sure how that happened or how how it got past council, but it's gone pretty far down the way here as far as putting out an RFP, uh, one response to the RFP, and it was accepted um, by the administration. So we're concerned. We're concerned about that. We're we're trying to bring things back and bring the heat down on this issue. We're speaking to Al Turner, who is the son of the last mayor of St. Boniface, Ed Turner. Today, Al will be leading a group outside of Winnipeg City Hall to try to keep St. Boniface City Hall in the city's control. And 50 years ago, when your dad handed over the keys to St. Boniface City Hall, uh, was that tough for him? Oh, it was brutal. It was the um, it was the worst day of his life uh, on December the 31st, uh, 1971. And um, for all the right reasons, my dad was an Anglophone and the mayor of a largely Francophone community. But my mother was a Francophone. She was born here. Her mother was her mother and father were from France. They immigrated to Canada. My grandmother lived here for her 101 years in St. Boniface and never learned to speak a a word of English, everything that she did. So St. Boniface is a unique and special place. To say it was tough on him was, um, it's kind of an understatement. He fought to the very end on the issue of swallowing up St. Boniface into the Unicity concept. He was worried about the uniqueness of the French culture, uh, the uniqueness of all the cultures in St. Boniface that meet and mix together and organize um, in a great way, and he was worried about losing that. You know, you have to understand uh, onslaughts onto Fr- French culture in St. Boniface have been going on since 1819. So we're, while we don't believe this is the underlying reason, it seems to be a business decision, it's constantly in the background that there's, you know, the uniqueness of St. Boniface is always at stake. Does this Would this feel like a final da- dagger for you, Al? Well, it would. You know, you think about 1905, the the residents of St. Boniface are so proud of their city hall, but they don't like the look of it, so they call the architect back and make them put another 20 feet on the top so it includes a clock tower. I mean, that building has a significance for people in our community, all the people in our community, but especially the Francophone community. It's the center of their world. And so with predominantly Francophone people living in that part of St. Boniface, you know, it's a sad day when it has to come to this, where the citizens have to go and, you know, bring on uh, more heat onto our city council. So for them to make a, a nice decision on the history of our community would be nice today. Well, the event starts today at 930 outside Winnipeg City Hall. And Al Turner will be leading the charge, son of the last mayor of St. Boniface, Ed Turner. Thank you so much for joining us this morning to bring this to our attention. We appreciate the time, Al. You're welcome. Jets back in action tonight, but hey, they took a big step in declaring themselves interested in finishing in first place in the NHL's North Division on Saturday night. Played around the boards there to the far side for Appleton. He will get it back to his demon and then out towards center ice it goes. Here comes Lowry stomping across the line. Let a shot go. Deflected in front. Redirected. They score! Mason Appleton again! 
goes to the net with a drive, and the puck found him on a pinball, and the Jets will open up the scoring. It's one nothing Winnipeg. Off the toe of Mason Appleton's skate, in fact, for his eighth goal of the season. It gave the Jets a one nothing lead early in the second period. Toronto would score twice, two minutes and nine seconds apart to go ahead 2-1 in that second period. And then the Jets scored four unanswered goals for a 5-2 win. We should probably take a listen, huh? Paul Edmonds, if you would. Stanley now for Shifley. Shifley, high slot. Let's Arister go deflected in front. They score! Paul Stastny got the last touch on it. And Winnipeg, late in this second, has tied it at two. Back inside his own zone. Played it to the near side at center right for DeMello. He skips inside the zone. Put it toward the net. Off the stick of the goaltender. Center down in front of backhand shot. They score! Adam Lowry got to the front of the net. The puck found him. And he backhanded it home. And Winnipeg takes a 3-2 lead with 12-21 remaining in this third period. Pionk, he'll play now again for Ehlers off the board. Let a shot go. He scores! Nikolai Ehlers, a little bit of catch with Neil Pionk, arced off the boards, ripped it home. It's a power play goal, and Winnipeg leads at 4-2. Morsey back for Shifley. Shifley dusts it off with a shot go. He scores! Mark Shifley with a wrist shot. It's a power play goal, and Winnipeg leads at 5-2. So in what many are calling their most complete efforts of the season, the Jets skated out of Toronto with five out of a possible six points last week as they prepare for the Montreal Canadiens tonight. The Jets are not likely looking at the standings in the same way fans are, but that does not change the facts. Yeah, with the Jets' Leafs loss to with the Leafs' loss to Ottawa last night, Winnipeg is four points behind Toronto with three games in hand on the Maple Leafs. Jets and Leafs have an identical six six seven points percentage, looking really good for Winnipeg right now in terms of the standings. Now, this scenario had me thinking about the lockout short in 2012-2013 season. The Jets were in first place in the Southeast Division. They were nine points ahead of Washington Capitals heading into game 30, games 31 and 32 of the 48-game schedule. The Caps came into Winnipeg and won decidedly on back-to-back nights to show the Jets who was boss. The Jets ended up missing the playoffs by four points. Very different teams, but a similar scenario as the Jets can put even more distance between themselves and Montreal. This two-game series starts tonight and takes another step potentially for first place in the all-Canadian North Jets lead Montreal by five points. We start this half hour with our next guest who had another obligation on another program. Thursday, as we celebrated CJOB's 75th anniversary, or we would have invited him to join us here on The Start. Yes, of course, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers since 1974. He had a little bit of a break. Joins us now. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. How are you? Doing well, Bob Irving with us, of course. And before we raise your blood pressure with a question about the Football League, which doesn't start with Canadian, your visit with Peter Warren and Loren McNabb was just outstanding. Here's some classic Peter real quick here, Bob. 
And isn't it right that you guys got into a shoving match outside my studio door? Oh, don't drum up any more excitement. Long-haired Al, take a long walk off a short pier. (laughs) (laughs) That clip never gets tired. What was it like uh, reuniting Uh, with Peter Warren on the air on Thursday, Bob? Well, it was great. I've stayed in touch with Peter since he went out to Vancouver uh, some 20, just over 20 years ago, I guess. So it was wonderful to hear his voice on our airwaves again. I've said to people many times when I came to CGOB in 1973 as a young pup broadcaster, I was surrounded by these icons, Red Alex and George McCloy and Alan Willoughby and, of course, Peter Warren right at the top of the list. It was very intimidating, but, uh, you know, he was very welcoming. He a wonderful guy when you got him off the airwaves where he was telling people to take a long walk off a short pier and uh, you know, we got to know each other very well and became friends. And it was great to have him on the air again. He's almost 80 years of age now. He's had some health issues, but he soldiers on. And certainly when I look back on my time at CGOB, there's no one we've had on the air who made the impact, left the imprint on the radio station that Peter Warren did. Yeah, that we, in spite of the, the star-studded cast we had lined up, Throughout the day on CJOB, the one person people were asking about was, when, when's Peter Warren on? When is Peter Warren going to be on? So he was on with uh, Loren McNabb and you at 1030, if you want to find that in the audio vault at CJOB.com this past Thursday. Now, I guess we uh, might suggest a, a, a deep breath. Where are you on this CFL-XFL conversation after a weekend to ponder? Well, nothing has changed in in my view. Uh, I just don't know where this is going and how the CFL intends to turn it into something that will help it financially. So I, I will say in an open-minded look at this, I'm waiting to hear more. I've been asking a number of people who are close to this, involved with the league, give me one uh, bit of tangible evidence that would show the Canadian Football League can somehow financially benefit from any alignment with the XFL, a league that has failed twice, that has no plans to play this year, and has said it may not even play in 2022. Uh, To me, just on the surface, it looks like the CFL has been seduced by The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and his charismatic and wealthy presence in the world into thinking that somehow an alliance with him and his rich partners, and they are very rich, uh, can somehow benefit the CFL. You know, lots of people are speculating it's going to come down to an amalgamation between the XFL and the CFL, in which case I just tune the whole thing out. You know, that's just... uh, the end of the world, as far as I'm concerned, is a guy who's followed the Canadian Football League, believes in it, loves it, has passion for it. Uh, I don't know how that makes the CFL more financially productive. I just don't see it. Somebody's going to have to explain that to me. But we'll see where this goes. Uh, we haven't heard the last of it, and uh, I'm like everybody else. I'm on the edge of my seat to waiting to see you know, what the end game's going to be here. Obviously, there are a lot of things yet to be determined here, Bob, in terms of even the nature of these discussions and and what uh, an arrangement could look like. But I've got four things written down here as things that are contentious issues in terms of the game itself. So I want to see if we can build at least a, a starting point 
from which we could maybe negotiate, okay? And and there, there, there are four things that are pretty simple. Are these negotiable for you? You can go yes or no if you want to uh, spew a little bit. Afterwards, uh, yeah, you're Bob Irving. You can do that if you want. <laughs> size, size of the football, is that negotiable? The size of the football? Well, the footballs are virtually the same size now anyway, so that's not a big deal for me. Okay, size of the field? Oh, of course. It's non-negotiable. Position of the goalposts? Non-negotiable. No, number of downs, I, I think I know the answer to that, if those other well, three yeah, things are you know, off the table. Yeah, of course. You know, And now you're talking again about amalgamation. That's where you've got this thing going, Greg, in terms of the, the teams in the XFL playing games against teams in the Canadian Football League. I, I would throw this out. If you're a Blue Bomber fan, a football fan, would you be excited by the the Dallas Roughnecks coming to IG Field versus Saskatchewan, Edmonton, or Calgary. I mean, I can't see that. I don't know where that – and then all these things you talk about if the teams or leagues are going to merge, and I get sick to my stomach even thinking about it, but how are you going to reconcile all those differences in the game? Uh, you know, why would the Canadian Football League give up what makes it unique, what makes it popular with the people it's popular with, unless – there's, you know, a better bottom line for the league involved. And then where is that going to come from? Is it going to attract? There's three ways you make money in pro sport, and that's with television money, corporate money, and attendance at your games. So how is any of that going to be improved by amalgamating with the XFL? Nobody's been able to explain that to me at this point. So my hope, again, is that these are just discussions and there's no problem with discussing and listening to people. And in about a month from now, my dream is that Randy Ambrose will say, you know what, we had some nice chats with the XFL, but there's really nothing there that will benefit us or really benefit them. So we're moving on. That's what I hope happens. But I'm concerned. Got to talk hockey. The Jets, three of four points Tuesday and Thursday as the Leafs were the overall better team. But Saturday night in the rubber match, the Jets locked it down and uh, came away with five of six points and positioned to, to take control of their own destiny. Super impressive win on Saturday night. Maybe the Jets' most complete game of the year. And, you know, I think what that series did, you guys, is the Jets getting five out of six points. And they don't like to use the term measuring stick, but that's what it was, I think, for most fans and, and media. And I think the Jets have really, you know, announced to people that, hey, folks, if you had any doubts about our legitimacy, what did you think happened in our series with Toronto? How do you view us now? This team, this Jets team, now as it approaches the midway point of the season tonight, has got to have people paying attention. You know, they can score. they got a great goalie. Uh, they don't defend great, but they can at times well enough that their goalie will pull them through and their explosive uh, forwards will win some of these close games this is a team that other teams in the nhl are going to have to keep an eye on and their backup goalie is not too bad either bob thank you either no. <laughs> thanks for this okay uh, I, okay we'll uh, let you go uh, do some yoga now all right <laughs> thanks buddy I'll take a few deep breaths and think about the xfl it's just as manitoba prepares to ramp up vaccine distribution and Changes to several restrictions on gathering sizes and masks came into effect this weekend. At least two experts are concerned 
about the possibility of a third lockdown in our province. Third round of lockdown predicted. Manitoba easing restrictions as troubling signs emerge. That is the headline on the front page of the Winnipeg Free Press this morning. One of the experts cited in the article is Cynthia Carr, founder of Epi Research. She is an epidemiologist and regular contributor to this program and others on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. So just as it felt to many Manitobans that the numbers were going in the right direction, does something feel a little off for you, Cynthia? Yes. Uh, and again, I, I wanted to be careful. I don't think in public health we should speak in absolutes because things change constantly. We just need to be cautious and careful. So I'm not a fan of predictions, and I didn't say that I predict a lockdown, um, although I did say I am concerned about the way the numbers are going, and I think it's an important conversation. So, you know, just for an example, you know, uh, January 14th, a month ago, we had a seven-day average of 173 new cases a day, which is great compared to the end of November, where it was over 400. We really saw a nice decline into mid-February to 76, but it's the last month uh, where we're really waffling. We're at an average of 74 new cases, uh, uh, an average uh, a day uh, now, and that's actually up from where we were about March 6th at 52. So uh, even globally, when I look at the data, uh, the week-to-week increase is 10% over the last week. Um, some countries are really showing great consistent declines, but that's because they're sticking with a very cautious, multi-layered approach. And so those are the the comments that I want to be most clear about is that the success appears to be with continued caution as we roll out our vaccine program. What kind of things are they doing differently in those regions with their cautious approach versus our uh, cautious reopening? Again, it's about the multi-layered approach. So it's about not lifting one um, aspect too quickly. So saying, you know, you don't have to wear masks in certain areas is kind of going against the whole concept of, you know, the public health messaging about consistent mask wearing in all public areas is very important. Uh, Being very cautious about how much restrictions are lifted in indoor spaces Um, and uh, in terms of uh, capacities and numbers of people together because as we've said over and over the virus is just looking for a chance to spread and the more people we put together uh, in one space the easier it is for that virus to move. Cynthia Carr founder of Epi Research is our guest epidemiologist and quoted in the Winnipeg Free Press article from Ryan Thorpe along with Dr. Anand Kumar and he says that the easing of restrictions is quote a gamble based primarily on the variants which have arrived in Manitoba. How concerned are you about those variants Cynthia? I am concerned about the variants, and again, I'm not looking to stress people out, but we just have to reflect on the, you know, a year ago, uh, where we just never would have anticipated when we started with three cases, uh, you know, identified in Manitoba, we never would have thought of the numbers that uh, we would be seeing now. So although now, you know, the numbers of variants in Manitoba seem small, uh, you know, I think it's in the 20s right now, uh, again, we could look at other provinces such as uh, Ontario, where, you know, in a month they've gone from uh, less than 10% of cases being the variant or a mutation or a mutation uh, shown to 40%. So we really need to watch those percentages of uh, cases that, uh, that are variants because they are much more transmissible. Are we going too fast with our reopening? 
Um, I think from my perspective, controlling things that we can when there's things that we can't control are very important. So again, the way we control uh, the variant is by not letting uh, the virus spread, but the virus will change. That's what it does. So we really can't control what the virus does, but we can control uh, whether or not we let it move from person to person. Uh, I heard Dr. Vouch Fauci say on the weekend, you know, it can't mutate if it doesn't replicate. So again, the virus will want to mutate and change, but it's up to us to let it not move from person to person where, where it will replicate. So I think that we should perhaps hold steady on the things we can control, uh, even for another month, just to see if this little uh, increase in cases that we're seeing now uh, goes back in the right direction, and then uh, try to move forward again. I just don't want to see us in a situation of another uh, extreme lockdown, given the mental health impact uh, that this is having on people. Cynthia, how closely are experts from around the world watching what happens in Texas over the next 10 or 12 days? I think many people are, and certainly we should be, and we're hoping this is not going to be, you know, a a devastating learning opportunity with, you know, again, very quickly and at a high sort of broad level, uh, reducing restrictions, uh, just because the United States is doing a very good job, and they are, uh, with their vaccine rollout, uh, it is not the time now to give uh, the virus the advantage. Cynthia Carr joining us live on 680 CJOB, founder of Epi Research and Epidemiologist. We appreciate the time, Cynthia. Thank you. You're very welcome. This year is the 50th anniversary of email, and Toronto Star wrote a great piece over the weekend. We've actually shared it to our CJOB Instagram story if you want to read it. And it's it's basically talking about how email is a curse. So we use that as a springboard to have some fun with that by asking you to share us a story about an email blunder. And your text messages at 204-780-6868 shall determine who gets the $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. I've pulled four texts here. Greg, why don't you start us off? This is from Anonymous. I can see why. This is about a text, not an email. I went to text my wife saying I can't wait to get home to, <clears throat> you know what, S-E-X. <laughs> but I accidentally texted my M-O-M. <laughs> she said, you pig. <laughs> you pig. <laughs> Terrible. Paul says, this is my blunder. Three weeks putting a project together with a deadline just a few days away, and this one IT manager sends me an email wanting to stop it for stupid reasons. So I sent an email to my director saying this guy is an effing idiot oh, no. and needs to be stopped. Turns out to re- I replied to him instead. I thought I was fired. But in the end, my director bailed me out and stopped him from delaying it. Okay, so it turned out nice again. Uh, Jones said this. This is less about an email and more about an attachment to an email. At one point, I was working for a nonprofit organization. I was responsible for writing all of the volunteer job descriptions. We needed a public relations volunteer for a specific program we were running. Under qualifications, I stated they needed public relations skills. The two lines under that, I stayed uh, said that they need or stated that they needed uh, good oral skills <laughs> the catch i forgot to type the l in public 
Thanks, Joan. <laughs> Is that uh, something you're familiar with, Brett McGarry? Yes, indeed. At Red River College in Creative Communications, one of the branches that you can follow to learn one of the paths is public relations. So we had to include title pages <laughs> on our projects, mm. and students would often forget the L in public relations. Was that an automatic zero, or how did that work? No, that wasn't an autofail. Uh I think probably secretly the instructors and you know got a kick out of it. Probably, probably took bets on how many are we going to get this year. Here's our winner from Doug. I was doing some construction, some construction work at home. Found a sexy lady contractor who was scantily clad. So I sent this pic to a few select fellow employees. And uh, the first reply I received was from the president. And it read... Quote, although I don't appreciate the content, I am happy to see that she is wearing her safety glasses, footwear, vest, and hard hat. End quote. Whoops, wrong Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's why he's a leader. El Presidente is El Presidente because he found the positive in even something that he probably was very unhappy about. Yeah, so uh, Doug, hopefully this was a long time ago, but we appreciate you sending this uh, story. You're the winner, Doug. You get the gift card. Just by a hair over you, Joan. Yeah, there was uh, some deliberation, uh, some heated deliberation right up until game time. Uh, So thanks for your stories. You know, when it comes to email... If, if I'm sending a potentially questionable or potentially confrontational email, I will often type out the email before I include anybody in this. Like, I, I've chosen the, who this is going to. I want to make sure that the words are right and that it, then it's going to the right person because I don't want to accidentally type it up for the wrong person and then hit send. Oh, you're giving me anxiety just imagining the possibilities sometimes of the things that you say or yeah. you're, you're talking about somebody and they haven't been around for days and days. And then they walk in and it's like, eh, oh. we weren't talking about you at all. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.